please open up to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 17 through 19. The message this morning is, it's pretty much about the new man, but we're going to look at the old man's nature and life. That is, the, the, the way that the old man, the, the nature, the fallen nature lives in this world today. Now, when a person believes and confesses Jesus Christ as Lord, they're born again. And as a result, a transformation begins to take place in his fallen nature. Now, when you get saved, when you come to Christ, salvation isn't improving on what you are. It isn't patching it up. It isn't making improvements. It's not perfecting what you were before. The new birth becomes a total transformation. Paul said in Romans 12 too, be transformed. It means to change into a different physical form, especially by supernatural means. And the New Testament says that the person who experiences the new birth becomes a new creature. And that all things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new, especially the person that's born again doesn't get something new, but he or she becomes something new. We're new creatures in Christ. Now, the unbeliever may doubt it. They may scorn and reject and ridicule Christians. Oh, he's born again. She's born again. Oh, they've seen the light. Oh, now they're religious. Oh, now they read the Bible. All those things we've heard over the years about ourselves, about even things that we've said about people that we knew or know that became Christians. We mocked them. <clears throat> they may be skeptics and deny the new birth. The worldly man may ridicule it. The earthly wise man may look down on it. The liberal preacher may write it off. But each of us, born-again believers, can honestly say, once, one thing I know, once I was blind and now I see. Because he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. You see, I have a new heart. And that changes everything because out of it, that is out of the heart, spring the issues of life. It re we read in Ezekiel eleven nineteen 19 through 20, it says, Then I, God, will give them one heart. He says, And I will put a new spirit within them. And I will take the stony heart or the hard heart out of their flesh. He says, I will give them a heart of flesh. He says, that they may walk in my statues and keep my judgments and do them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. So you see, with a new heart, I have a new mind. I don't think like I used to think about God in the world. I have new desires and I want what God wants now. I want his will to be done in my life. I don't want my will to be done anymore. I have a new relationship with God. I love Him. He loves me. I have new, a new relationship with others. I have a new awareness of God. I have a new power. 
that I never had before. Now I have victory over sin and temptation. It doesn't get victory over me. Where before I gave in to the pull of temptation. I became in bondage to temptation. I have a new knowledge about things. I have a new wisdom, a new understanding. I have a new morality. I have new tastes. I want to please God, not myself anymore. And so many new other things. As Paul said, now I'm walking in the newness of life. I'm not just existing day by day. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who lives, it's Christ who is living in me. He's taken over my body, he's taken over my mind, my will, my heart, my ways, because I have been crucified with Christ. I'm now dead to myself and I'm alive to Jesus. The Christian life is a life of dying. Understand that when Jesus called us to him, it was a call to die. It was a call to die. To myself, to my ways, to my old desires. And if we're in any real sense uh, joined to Christ, the power of his death makes us dead to self and sin in this world. And we gain ourselves when we lose ourselves. I've lost my life in Christ. Jesus said, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Paul said in Philippians 3, 7 through 8, but what things were gained to me? You know those things he said that I thought were important to me? He says, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Notice, and I now count them as rubbish. The word rubbish means dung. Dung. All those things now are but dung to me that I might gain Christ. You see, Paul compared what he once thought was important in his life to what Jesus had to offer and he realized that all he thought was so dear to him was really nothing but dung compared to what he had now in Jesus Christ. So, if all of this is true, and it is, then why do we still sin after we become Christians? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7, 17 through 18 and verse 20. Paul says, it's no longer I who do it. But sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present. In other words, my will to want to do right is present. It's within me. But he says, how to perform what is good, I don't find. He says, I don't know how to do that. Now, if I do what I will not to do, that is, if I don't do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, who does it, but sin that dwells in me. In other words, you see, still, uh, sin is still so deeply rooted in our flesh because of our old nature. And because it is, we're held back from being able to completely and perfectly show the new nature. Having the full, the fullness of the divine nature that is in Christ without the corrupting influence of our unsaved flesh that's still future. 
That's not going to happen in our lifetime. The believer in general is transformed, but not yet perfect. Not yet totally perfect. He has natural sin. But here's the thing. It doesn't control us anymore. Paul said in Romans 6, 12 through 14, notice, do not let rain, let sin rain in your mortal body. So he's telling you, don't let it. What is he saying? You have control. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey in its lusts. And do not, again, do not present your body, your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For notice, sin shall not have dominion over you. It may be there and the temptations might come. But Paul says you don't have to give in. Don't let sin reign over your body. It shall not have dominion over you. The new man is no longer the depraved old man that he used to be. And then I say old, I'm talking about not age, but character. The depraved character that we once used to have is now the new man created in righteous holiness, waiting for total salvation. In Ephesians 4, 17 through 19 here this morning that we're going to look at, Paul compares the walk of the wicked unbeliever with the walk of the spiritual believer. He shows us the Christian's right response to being a new creature. And all of this points to the truth that a changed nature means a changed way of living. It means a changed person. Because God has created an amazing new body in the world called the church. There it is, right there. You are the church, not this building behind us. You are this amazing new body in the world called the church. And because of its unique creation, with its unique character of humility, empowered with spiritual gifts, its unity as the body of Christ, and its need to be built up in love, here's how every one of you should live as a member of that church. In the rest of the chapter, Paul moves from the general to the specific. And first he gives us four personal characteristics of the walk of the old man and then four personal characteristics of the walk of the new man. Let's now read verses 17 through 19 of verse 4. Paul says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of Christ because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, giving themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness and greediness. So verse 17 and 19 is speaking about the old you. The word therefore refers back to what Paul's being saying about our high calling in Christ. And because we're saved... 
We're united in the body of Christ. And we've been given gifts by the the Holy Spirit. And we're built up by the gifted men that God gave us in verses 1 through 16. So we should, according to verse 17, no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. We can't do what Jesus has called us to do. Which is, to be, which is to be witnesses to him if we're still living the way the world lives. Gentiles refers to all who aren't Jews and religiously to all pagans. Based on what we are in Christ and everything God has planned for us now because we're his blood bought children, dearly loved children, We're to be totally different from the rest of the world that doesn't know or follow him. Spiritually, we've already left the world. And we're now citizens of heaven. We're not to love the world or the things in the world. The world's values are wrong. The world's motives are wrong. The world's goals are wrong. The world's ways are sinful, deceitful, corrupt, empty, and destructive. Paul's warning to us here wasn't from his own personal righteousness or choices. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. And that is with the Lord's authority. Paul says, with the Lord's authority, I say this. When it comes to forsaking sin, And following righteousness, it's not some impulsive idea of some narrow-minded preachers and teachers. This is God's standard and his only standard for those who belong to him. It's the very heart of the gospel. And Paul clearly shows us the difference in the standards of the unsaved. Paul gives us four particular characteristics of the ungodly and unsaved lifestyle, which we've just had a demonstration. Uh, You know, we've just, uh, of the unsaved lifestyle, the believers are to leave behind. And Paul says the worldly life is, first of all, in verse 17, notice, futility of their mind. That is, hopelessly confused. The first characteristic of unsaved people is that they live in the futility of their mind. And it's important to know that the basic concern of the way you live is in the mind. In other words, what you think, that is your standards. What you think is the way you live. You are what you think. You are what you think. And Paul goes on talking about understanding and ignorance in verse 18. Learning and teaching in verses 20 through 21. And the mind and the truth in verse 23 through 24. They all have to do with the mind. Because unbelievers and Christians think differently. They act differently. There shouldn't be any question about who is a believer and who is not a believer. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.16. But we understand these things for we have the mind of Christ. And when it comes to spiritual and moral matters. 
An unbeliever can't think properly. His thinking about those things are so distorted and hopeless. And that's because man's sinfulness comes from his degenerate mind. So the transformation has to start with the mind. And Paul said in Romans 12 too, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, the world wants to control your mind. But God wants to transform your mind. We get our English word metamorphosis from the word transformed. And it describes a change from within. As you can see right now with all that's going on, the world wants to change your mind. It applies to pressure from the outside. We as Christians are being pressured from the outside to change our mind. To change our our way of life. To change the way we live. To change the way we think about things. To change the way we do things. But the Holy Spirit changes your mind by power from within. You see, if the world controls your thinking, you are a conformer. If God controls your thinking, you're a transformer. If the world is controlling your thinking, they want you to think that abortion is okay. That homosexuality is okay. Same-sex marriage is okay. Anti-God is okay. You see, they're trying to conform you to the world's way of thinking. God transforms our minds and he makes us spiritually minded by using his word. And as you spend time reading and meditating on and memorizing God's word and making it a part of your inner man, God will gradually make your mind more spiritual. Your mind controls your body and your will controls your mind. We have an example of that in Mark 14, 72. Remember, it says, a second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the world that Jesus had said to him. Or what Jesus said to him. Jesus said, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Listen to what Peter said. It says, or what Mark said. And when he, Peter, thought about it, he wept. When, when, when Peter thought about it, he wept. You see, your feelings are directly related to your thoughts. A lot of people think that they can control their will by willpower, but they usually fail. This was Paul's experience when he wrote Romans seven fifteen through 21. It's only when we surrender our will to God that his power can take over and give us the willpower and the will not power that we need for victorious Christian living. We surrender our wills to God through disciplined prayer. And as we spend time in prayer, we surrender our will to God and we pray, not my will, but your will be done. We have to pray about everything. We have to let God have his way in everything. We need to start every day surrendering our body to the Lord. Then we need to spend time in his word and let him transform our mind and prepare our thinking for every day, every new day. Then we need to pray and give our plans for uh, for our day to him. 
We need to let him do what he knows is best. And we need to let the Lord have the right to change my plans and interrupt my plans on that day. Pray about those things that upset you or worry you, and he'll get you through it. And to have a right relationship with God, we have to start every day by surrendering our bodies, our minds, and our wills to him to do as he sees fit. Christianity is knowing first, then it's experienced. It's knowing first, then it's experienced. It's our thinking that makes us think about the gospel and our thinking that causes us to believe the facts and spiritual truths about the gospel and to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's why the first step in repentance is a change of mind. A change of mind, a change of direction. That's what repent means. A change of mind about yourself, about your spiritual condition, and a change about God, the way you think about God. Spiritually speaking, Paul says the way the natural mind works is useful and fruitful. It's useless, I'm sorry, useless and unfruitful. That's the way the spiritual mind works. That's what's meant by futility in verse 17. The word futility refers to what is lacking, which is truth and correctness. The word used to mean empty or futility, it's because it means it, it amounts to nothing. The spiritual thinking and the following lifestyle of the Gentiles, as Paul mentions here, who represent the ungodly, is totally empty. It's vain. It has no substance. There's nothing to it. The life of an unbeliever is wrapped up in thinking and acting and things that are basically unimportant. He's only interested in himself and pursuing only selfish goals. Storing up for himself things that are temporary and, and, and looking for satisfaction in things that don't satisfy and that are really deceptive and disappointing. The unbeliever plans and decides everything based on his own thinking, on what's right in his own eyes and what pleases him. He becomes the only authority in his life and he follows his own thinking which is useless, aimless, and meaningless. And Solomon, who experienced every worldly pleasure, the wisest, wealthiest, and most favored man of the old world, said toward the end of his life that the worldly life is vanity and grasping for the wind. Year after year, century after century, to this very day, People keep doing the same thing. They keep doing the same thing, chasing after the same empty goals in the same empty places in the same empty ways. Isaiah said in Isaiah 55 too, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? And a lot of people are looking for happiness, but in all the wrong places. No person or no thing can make you happy, truly happy. The second characteristic of ungodly people is not knowing God's word. Their thinking is just empty, spiritually ignorance. Look at verse 18. It says their understanding is darkened. Their understanding is darkened. They've left God out of their thinking. 
And because of their ignorance and because of their hardness of their heart. Education today is emphasized. It's emphasized probably more than ever before. Why? Because of the high-tech age that we live in. And many so-called educated people say Christianity is for the uneducated. You've probably heard that on the, on, the, on, on the news. Democrats say that Trump supporters are uneducated. Uneducated. Well, at least we can see what is ungodly and what is wrong with Democrats' thinking. It's just the opposite. Education doesn't guarantee wisdom or success, but a crutch to depend upon yourself, Steve Carlson said. Scripture says, lean not on your own understanding, your own knowledge. And they think being educated, they think being uneducated is worse than being sinful. Yet Paul's point is that, is that spiritual ignorance and sin always go together. In 2 Timothy 3, 2. And seven, Paul said, men speaking of the ungodly are, Paul was speaking of the ungodly, he says, they're always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why? They're spiritually ignorant. Because the fallen nature of the human race can't know and understand the things of God which are spiritually understood and really the only things worth knowing. Paul said that when men rejected God, they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Romans 121. Intellectual senselessness and foolishness are connected as part of sin's consequence. The Greek word behind the word darkened speaks of an ongoing condition of spiritual darkness. The darkness suggests ignorance and immorality. Hearts were darkened. And hearts were darkened is coupled with separation from the life of God. John 1, 5 says, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The cause of their darkness? Ignorance and separation from God. That's the hardness of the heart. That was the hardness of their heart. It was their willful choice to stay in sin. When men choose to reject God, he sovereignly and in judgment decides to blind their minds and to remove his presence and strengthen them in their spiritual ignorance. Romans 1, 21 through 22 and verse 24, Paul said, Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. So God also, God also knows, gave them up. God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Three times the Holy Spirit uses the phrase, gave them up. Gave them up. In, verse, in chapter uh, Romans 1, 24, 26, and 28. God doesn't bless disobedience. He lets go. God basically says, you know what? If you want sin, if you want to reject me, you got it. You have it. Because of the hardness of their heart, the ungodly can't respond to truth. The person who is spiritually dead in their sins 
can't hear or understand the things of God. No matter how loud or clearly they may be declared or proved to them, they can't understand them. They had blindness in their hearts. Look at verse 18. Blindness means hardness. Blindness carries the idea of being as hard as a rock. It was used by doctors to describe the calcification that forms around broken bones and becomes harder than the bone. Sin hardens the heart of the person who continually chooses to sin. And it becomes harder and harder against spiritual truth until it totally makes them insensitive to the things of God. When men continue to do their own thing, sooner or later, they also be strengthened in their choice by God. When men choose to harden their hearts by continually rejecting the light, their understanding became darkened. It became separated from their life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of their heart. That's the awful thing about unbelief. It's the sad thing about the person who makes himself their own God. The third characteristic of the unsaved person is spiritual and moral coldness. They become insensitive, cold-hearted, and calloused. The phrase Paul uses in verse 19 here, notice, being past feeling. They were past feeling. They became apathetic. That means they, they, they weren't interested anymore. They, they, it weren't, they weren't concerned anymore. They don't care anymore about what's right and wrong. And when people continue living in their life of sin and they turn away from the life of God, they become unconcerned and insensitive about moral and spiritual things. They reject all standards of morality. And they don't care about the cost of their sinful thoughts and behavior. Even the sense of right and wrong becomes hardened to the point that it's, that it's not sensitive to wrong anymore. And they get a depraved mind. Worthless, self-centered thinking, ignorance of the truth. And spiritual and moral coldness surely lead to sensuality and a life of every kind of filthiness with greediness, Paul says in verse 19, lewdness. Being past feeling leads to lewdness or sensuality. It refers to total decadence. There's no limits, no moral restraint at all, especially in the area of sexual sins. The idea is uncontrolled self-indulgence and out-of-control immorality. They have no boundaries. At first, most people recognize at least or have some standard of right and wrong. And they have a sense of shame and guilt when they break that standard. And when they do, they usually try to cover it up. Because they're ashamed of what they've done. They don't want anybody to know. Now, they might fall back into it and do it over and over again. But they still recognize that it's wrong and it's, and it's something they shouldn't be doing. And their conscience won't let them stay comfortable. But here's the thing. As they keep on doing it, as they keep on stomping on their conscience... 
and training themselves to do wrong and to ignore the guilt pretty soon. They reject those standards and they choose to live totally by their own desires and when they do, they're showing an already seared conscience, their past feeling. Having rejected all of God's guidelines of protection, they become depraved in their mind. They give themselves over to sensuality. This person no longer cares about what other people think or what God thinks. All they care about is what satisfies the cravings of their own perverted mind and heart. Ungodliness with its immorality destroys the mind and the conscience and the spirit. Rejecting God and his truth and his righteousness, it finally results in what Paul refers to in Romans 128 as a depraved mind. A mind that's no mind at all. A mind that can't reason, it can't think clearly, it can't recognize <clears throat> or understand God's truth, and it loses contact with spiritual reality. And sometimes the deprived mind loses contact with all reality. Man is created for God, and he was designed to function according to God's standards. But when he rejects God and he rejects his standards, he's destroyed himself. And of course, he's going to affect everything and everybody that's around him. The reason our society is so wicked and perverted today is because of choices made based on principles that are specifically and purposely against God and his standards. Past feeling. The moral breakdown today has become shameless and it's become calloused, a calloused way of life because they purposely choose to do those things that are past feeling. The fourth thing Paul said in verse 19 was to work all uncleanness. To work all uncleanness. This can refer to a business venture that could apply here. That is, the ungodly person often makes his life of filthiness a kind of business. The unsafe, the unsafe person makes it a way of life. You mean, think about it, pornography, prostitution, X-rated films, and every immoral, impure kind of entertainment is the biggest business in our country. And for the most part, most of it is out in the open. It's no longer shameful, and it's legally protected. Uncleanness or impurity always go together with greediness. Always goes together with greed. Greediness is uncontrolled covetousness. It's unrestrained lust for whatever the person wants. Because immorality has no part in love. And anything the sensual person wants or does under the guise of caring and concern, it's just a deception. It's just a deception of their own gratification. They're just fulfilling the lusts of their flesh. The world of sensuality and impurity is the world of greediness. The person given over to godlessness and immorality greedily takes whatever he can from those around him. He values life only in physical, material things. 
He uses other people to get what he wants and turns his back on God in order to satisfy his own wicked desire. And Paul says, this greediness is the same as idolatry. When a person decides that they're going to think their own way and do their own thing, they're going to be their own authority and pursue their own way of life, they cut themselves off from God. And when he does, he cuts himself off from truth and becomes spiritually blind and without moral standards. And without, mor and without moral standards, immorality becomes a shameless, cold-hearted way of life. And as that life goes on, it destroys the minds and the ability to tell the difference between good and evil, truth and false, and from uh, real, uh, reality and unreality. The godless life becomes the mindless, senseless life, and as a result, evil is good and good is evil. This way of life describes every believer. It's the direction that every ungodly person is headed for. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.13, Evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So in closing, some people may not get to this extreme or these extremes that Paul is talking about here in verses 17 through 19. And that's only because of the grace of God that he showers on the righteous and the unrighteous and the protecting influence of the Holy Spirit and of the church. The Christian can't live like the unsaved person because the Christian has experienced a miracle of being raised from the dead. His life is not pointless. It has a purpose. His mind is filled with the light of God's word and his heart is filled with the fullness of God's life. He gives his life, he gives his body to God as an instrument of righteousness and not to sin. He doesn't give it to sin to satisfy his own flesh, his own selfish lusts. In every way, the believer is different from the unbeliever. And that's why Paul warned to no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Father, we come before you this morning. And Father, we look to you right now, God. And Father, we ask you to Go before us now, God. And Lord, we pray in spite of, Father, the disturbance earlier and even now, God, that uh, we pray for that person, Lord. We don't know what's going on in their life and in their heart, God. But we lift them up to you right now, God. We pray that, God, your spirit that's in this place and on this property and in that alley, God, would touch that person, God. Would minister to them, Father. Whatever it is that's going on, that you would just have your hand upon them, Lord. And Father, we pray for any of those here this morning that may not know Christ. 
and that the things that Paul described this morning of, of the unbeliever, that your spirit has reached them and touched them, God. And we pray, Lord, that their desire is to come to know you, Lord. And if there's anyone here, as I said this morning, that doesn't know you, but wants to come to know you, wants to be born again, that wants to have a new life, a new heart, a new mind, new desires, new thoughts, would repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, Please forgive me, Lord, for all of my sins. I confess to you I am a sinner. And I want to receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me now to walk with you, to follow you all the days of my life. And thank you, Lord, for saving me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And Lord, we want to pray for the tithes and the offerings right now, God, that you would bless your people. We thank you for the blessings of the offerings, Lord, that you continue to supply all of our need, God. And Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Tonight. We'll